Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor We're Jim. We're talking today out of Nehemiah. I want to talk to you about unshakable vision and what unshakable vision looks like, and how we ensure that we keep an unshakable vision. And I'm going to talk to you about that out of Nehemiah. Uh, if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king, Artaxerxes. And he got a burden for Jerusalem, because Jerusalem had been torn down. The walls and the gates had been destroyed, and God gave him a burden, placed a burden inside of him to go back. And rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And so he went to King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes asked him why he was so down in his mouth. As we would say in the south. And he said because the city lay in ruin. And he asked Artaxerxes for the permission to go fix it. And the king gave him permission to go fix it. So provoked by God. Nehemiah went to go rebuild Jerusalem. Now this seems an impossible feat. And I'm going to explain to you why. Because the city was completely destroyed for 152 years. Jerusalem lay barren with the exception of where just a few years earlier the temple had been rebuilt. But the city itself had been in complete ruin for about 152 years. And because of the vision that God placed in Nehemiah, because of the burden that God placed in Nehemiah, that city was rebuilt after 152 years, and I keep repeating this on purpose because I want you to grab a hold of it. 152 years, they rebuilt it in 52 days. It is sad that the things of God go to destruction and stay that way for 152 years when by the power of God, they have the ability to be fixed much, much faster. Amen? And so the question is, 152 years is how long it was 52 years is how long it took to reestablish Jerusalem why how is this possible how is it that in 52 days they were able to fix it and the answer is simple because God's timing is perfect I'm going to encourage you to take notes and revisit them today as I often do God's timing is perfect 2 Peter 3 8 through 9 says this do not let this one fact escape your notice beloved that beloved that with the lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day the lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance now i don't want you walking out of here and say pastor jim used a verse out of context today because in context that's talking about salvation but it's also talking in context about the character of the God that we serve. And the character and the nature of the God we serve is found in the first half. That the Lord is with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. And that the Lord is not slow to his promise. Amen. And what is the promise that God gave his people? That he will save a remnant of them. And that they would be in exile for a while. But that he would bring them back to himself. 
God's timing is perfect. I don't know what you've dealt with. I don't know what you're anticipating for. I don't know what God has placed in your heart to do. But I will tell you, if you haven't seen it yet, it's because God's timing is perfect, and it's not your timing. Just rest. Be comfortable in the fact that God created every person for a purpose, and that purpose will, as you pursue His face, identify itself and come to fruition over your life. But not only is God's timing perfect, when that time is right, He raises up a man to accomplish His vision. And when I say man, I'm going to go gender neutral and just say man so nobody in here freak out on me. It's weird that we got to say that these days, but I guess we do. He raises up a man to accomplish his will. Isaiah 46, 10 through 11 says this. My purpose will be, everybody say will be, established. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Again, so that I don't take the verse out of context, he's talking about somebody coming to destroy, him sending someone to destroy the city of Jerusalem. But the truth of who God is and who His character is and how He accomplishes His purpose is evident inside of this verse. And that, that truth is that His will will be established. His purpose, what He accomplishes to do, will be done. You should have comfort in that. You know why? Because if it's His purpose to accomplish, there's no way you can mess it up. There's an old saying, he put a calling on your life and factored in your stupid before he did it. And I praise God for that. Because I got plenty of stupid to go around. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Not just part of his good pleasure, but all of his good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east or the man of my purpose from a far country. It doesn't matter who he has to use, what he has to use. When he has to use it, his will, his purpose will be accomplished. You know why I believe in an unshakable vision? Because I believe in an unshakable God. A God that's immovable. A God that doesn't lie. A God that according to his own word is not slow about his promise. He said, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do it. Who amongst us is bold enough, strong enough, confident enough to stand and say that I have the ability in my flesh to thwart the will of God? And the answer to that question, if you have any reverence in you at all, should be no. None of us. Because God's timing is perfect, and He will accomplish His will when that timing comes. And He accomplishes that will through man. Amen? I want to talk to you a second about proving this is true to you in Scripture. God wanted to save people. And He sent Moses with a vision to save His people. God wanted to save people. And He sent Noah 
with a vision to save people. God wanted to save people. And he sent Gideon, who, by the way, was the least of the least, according to the Scripture, to save people. Whether it be Moses, Noah, Gideon, or sending his son who chose apostles because he wanted to save people. He accomplished his will through the vision of man. He gave them a vision, the apostles and a vision, a vision to save the world through Christ Jesus. This is what Acts 1.8 tells us. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is how this works. People ask me, do you, I've, I actually got asked a couple weeks ago, do you think people are called to a pastor or are they called to a vision? I will tell you, initially, I believe people are called to a pastor. People were drawn to Moses. Whether it's the, it's the anointing that draws them, but people are drawn to people. But as the vision is cast, that person becomes irrelevant and the people attach themselves to the vision. If you are still attached to Pastor Jim and you've been here more than two weeks, then I have failed you for not showing you that the greater vision is to glorify God. This church's purpose isn't to give me a platform to talk. It's to create an opportunity for people to come to know God. That's it. I am the trash bag, the pizza box, the whatever insert carrying device here for whatever God intends to deliver to his people. God calls people to people first and then to vision. Why? Because I can't save you. I don't want to save you. But I can show you through the vision that God has placed in us that God wants to save you. And that God, through His Son, Christ Jesus, can save you, has done the work to save you, and if you are saved, has empowered you to walk as though you are saved. I can't impart any of those things to you. Because the Word of God calls what I do the foolishness of preaching. And if you've heard me preach more than twice, you know exactly what it's talking about. Don't, don't, don't shake your head, Pete, man. That's not cool, man. But God calls people to a vision after He calls them to a man because a man is irrelevant. And so I want to talk to you about the unshakable vision of Launch Point Church. Not about Jim Cubitt. You know as well as I do, or I hope that you have, you do. If you don't, God's called us here for a purpose. But before that purpose was established, that conversation between God and I was a burden, just like Nehemiah had. I felt God telling me to plant a church. And it freaked me out. I left 20, 20 years of law enforcement to go associate pastor at a church that I would say was something 
a little north of volatile in regard to their staff. The turnover at Cornerstone Church, I think there was 26 pastors walked through those doors in the amount of time that I was there for four years as a pastor. But I was so confident in the vision that God had for my life, I took that job over 20 years of law enforcement anyway. And honestly, I thought I was going to stay there my whole time in, law, in, in ministry. I took that job with the intent of staying there. And then God started talking to me about four years later, about three years later, and gave me a burden to come home and plant a church in Lebanon. And I asked God, show me that I'm hearing correctly. And he confirmed that vision in my wife. He confirmed that vision in his word. He confirmed that vision through my pastor. We're driving to Cookville one day, my pastor and I, to a men's retreat. Many of you have heard this story. I'm rehashing it for those that haven't and to refresh those of you that have. Because it's important that you know that I'm not just up here doing something because I feel like doing it. There's other things I could be doing. We're driving down the interstate to Cookville for a men's retreat. I was the men's pastor at Cornerstone Church, and so he, he brought me with him. He had a speaking engagement there, and he introduced me when he got there. This is Jim Kubik, blah, 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 blah. Oh, well, let me finish. As we're driving, he goes, you're from here, right? We passed Lebanon. He said, you're from here, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, I thought so. And then we kept driving. We go to Cookville. He introduces me, much as you would any guest when you're in a room where people don't know you. And he says, this is Jim Kubik. He's our first impressions minister and our men's director. And God's called him to plant a church in Lebanon. He and I hadn't talked the first time about that. That moved to him and I having a very uncomfortable conversation. I went to his office and asked him, do you believe this is what I'm called to do? You say, it doesn't sound all that uncomfortable. Two things happen when people ask Pastor Davis or tell Pastor Davis, I feel like I'm being called to plant a church. And I'd seen both of them. One of them was, you're right. You can start tomorrow. Clean out your desk. And the other one is, you're right. We'll give you 90 days and then clean out your desk. Angela had just quit her job at Cracker Barrel. So we were about to be penniless. Except that God gave us a vision, and it was worth a shot. Neither of those two things happened. My pastor called me back in his office and said, I think you're right. You are supposed to be called to Lebanon, and for a year you're going to follow me around and do nothing except for watch me pastor so that you can learn to pastor and then I'm going to pay you. The Cornerstone Church is going to pay you your salary for the first year you're on the ground. That's how you know that God's vision is real. We had that conversation not very long after. Fourteen people around a campfire, many of them still in this room. Fourteen people around a campfire started talking about what Launch Point Church might eventually look like. And we dreamed a little dream and dared a little dare and believed that God would do exactly what God said he would do. And he's doing it. Why do I share all this with you? Because what is it, the it, that he's doing? The mission statement, the it here, is to be a place where people can come to know God, find freedom, 
discover their purpose and make a difference. What that is, is that's one large bucket with three smaller buckets. Our primary responsibility, our primary goal here, our primary mission is to create a place where people can come to know God. First and foremost, that's only possible through Christ Jesus. As that bucket fills and overflows, it fills the other three buckets. When that bucket fills, it fills the Find Freedom bucket. It fills the Discover Purpose bucket. And it fills the Make a Difference bucket. And then, of course, it's cyclic. The only difference that we can make, the only true difference we can make, I'm just trying to share the heart of Launch Point Church with you. The only difference we can make that is significant eternally is to be a place in ourselves and corporately where other people then can come to know God too. That's what I love about our mission statement. It's supposed to never stop. It should never stop. And let me tell you, in regard to our mission statement, I am insignificant. Please hear me. I don't say that out of a false humility. I've told you guys, most of you that have been here for the most of the time we've been open, my hope one day is to walk away from here, put a pastor in place, three months later say, have somebody say, wasn't there an old dude used to preach here? Every leader should pray for irrelevance because the vision has to be bigger. Amen? The mission has to be big, bigger. The mission is where we're going. The vision is how we are getting there. The vision for how we're getting to the mission right now is grow. We told you the vision changes, mission never changes. Where you're going never changes. We're never going to stop declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And because of that, the byproducts of those things, the freedom, the discovery, and the making a difference will never change. But the way we get to there may change. And right now, our vision is the GROW vision. And that's an acronym, just so that you folks know that it may not have been here a while. You've seen it on our door. You've heard us talk about the GROW box and all this kind of stuff. It's an acronym, which stands for ground, to grow in ground, to grow in righteousness, to grow in outreach, and to grow in worship. It's a three-year vision to accomplish our mission. And then after that three years, because I don't believe God's going to be done with us in three years, God's going to give us another vision. Because we still have to accomplish the mission. Amen? And we've done a good job over the last two years. we got one more year in this three-year vision at accomplishing the GROW vision. We have bought ground. We have declared and increased in righteousness. I'm certain of it. I have intentionally for two years preached harder at you than I did in all the other four years combined. And I'm not planning on stopping. People say, that, that hurts my feelings. or Man, that was tough on me. Whatever tough is in this room is a fraction of the tough that hell is if you don't listen to the words that are spoken in this room. Outreach. We have to be a church that goes beyond who we are inside of this building. If all we're doing is making ourselves feel good about who God's called us to be, then we aren't accomplishing anything. And then, of course, worship as a lifestyle. 
we should have a worshipful lifestyle. And two years ago, we brought in a new worship leader. And I think Caleb and his team have done an incredible job showing us not just what worship in this space looks like, but worship in every space we're in looks like, which is also a byproduct of righteousness. Amen? This is what God has called us to do. This is what God has this is where God has called us to go. And so in this time that we've had, God has given us some incredible wins. I want to read some of them. We have fed thousands of people and children in our schools. We have housed hundreds of homeless, tended to widows and those in jail, clothed many, Leonard in one month baptized 72 people in the jail. In one month. We have clothed many, supported local ministries such as Compassionate Hands, Rest Stop Ministries, Joseph Storehouse, All for Him Ministries, Next Step Ministries, Bridge House Ministries. I don't have time to go into all what all those are but they're outreach ministries within our community because we're committed to not starting a ministry that someone else is already doing well. It's better to support them financially and with volunteerism, which grows our outreach piece. We minister internationally through the Bolivian Hope Center, who we provided Christmas for this year. Missionaries in Indonesia step forward to Middle Eastern underground pastors. Haiti through Recovery 360. We planted a whole church by ourselves in India. Have assisted and come at some level in planting 11 other churches. Did you get your head around that? Little old Launch Point Church. Oh, you belong to that little church next to the beer store. Now let me tell you, we belong to that kingdom church that had hand in planting 11 other churches all around the world. That's who we are. That's who God is. That's what the Spirit of God has provoked us to do. We built a Bible college. Many of you weren't here then, but we built a Bible college in Haiti when a hurricane destroyed it. We helped a church stay open through financial giving. The church was about to close. That church just burned its mortgage last year. And he wrote me a letter and said, had we not been able to give or willing to give what we gave when we gave it, they would have shut that door and had to sell that building. We've sent teams to help train other churches. And the list goes on. Pastoral ministry to a number unknown. Counseling to the public for free. All those are great things. But the greatest thing is we've had hundreds upon hundreds of people commit their life to the Lord in this building. And many thousands more, I'm sure, through our outreach programs. This little church, and I'm being sarcastic because I don't think this little church, this little church accomplishes great things. Why? Because we're good? No, because God has placed a mission and a vision in us just like he did Nehemiah. But I want to give you a report, a very honest report of where we are in regard to our Grow Vision. We did a pledge, a Grow Pledge, 
three months ago. And it's a six-month grow pledge. And we have managed to collect half of what we pledged, which we're halfway through our thing. That's good, except for what we pledged was just a little under half of what we need. And that's as plain as I could put it to you. I'm not going to tell you you need to give more. I'm not going to tell you to reach deeper in your pocket. We went through a whole series about giving being a grace from God. I would ask those of you who haven't prayed or are still praying to continue to pray or start praying about how you would support that. I, I know that we serve a God that's not a last-minute God, but an on-time God. It's His vision. It's His problem. That sounds crass, but it's not. We either trust God for the vision He's given us, or we don't. And I do. Why? Because I know God has given us a burden for it. Too many miracles have happened here. Too many wonderful things have happened here for God to stop now. And so if you haven't given... If you haven't prayed, please pray about what you'd give. And watch God show up. Why do I tell you these things? I tell you these things because we need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant back to the story like Nehemiah was vigilant. He accomplished in 52 days what couldn't be done in 152 years. And he did it very simply with unshakable vision. An unshakable vision trusts God when the enemy threatens. There's three people in chapter 6 of Nehemiah that stood opposed to Nehemiah's work. Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab didn't like what God was doing. They determined to stand opposed to what God was doing. They were from that region, but they weren't Jews. They just decided that they were going to sit outside the city and be mad because of the work of God. And they began to threaten them. So much so, that in verse 2 it says, Then Sambalot and Geshem sent a message to me. This is Nehemiah speaking. Come, let us meet together at Sheriffim in the plain of Ono, which happened to be about 45 miles from Jerusalem. But they were planning on harming me. You know why they called him so far away? Because they were planning on harming him. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? To make this as simple as possible, I don't care what the report of the enemy says. I don't care how many times the enemy tells me, you need to stop doing what you're doing. They went as far a fifth time to say that we're going to contact the king and let the king know that you're walking in rebellion to him so that he will kill you. I don't care what the enemy is threatening. I can, guarantee, I can through unshakable vision, trust God when the enemy threatens. I don't care what the enemy decides to say, what he decides to do. I have never in my life sought vision from God wondering if the enemy would be okay with that vision at the end of that vision. Who does that? 
What general says, you know, I would attack that place, but they're likely to hurt me. The fight needs to be fought or the fight doesn't need to be fought. I will tell you, the kingdom of God is a fight that needs to be fought. And so we stand like Nehemiah stood and say this. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come to you? I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care what the enemy does. It doesn't matter if he threatens us. This I know. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Jim, are you stressing? It's irrelevant. Because the Lord fights for me while I keep silent. Do I struggle? It's irrelevant. Because the Lord will fight for me when I'm silent. This, the context of this verse is in Exodus when the armies of Egypt were coming against God's people and God didn't fail them. Instead, they were told to be silent which means don't murmur, don't complain, just do what you're told to do. And can I encourage you to do the same thing? It's going to be a, there's going to be a tendency amongst a number to say, man, we're, we're not where we're supposed to be. We're, we're, we don't have the number we're supposed to have. Can I ask you just to be silent, be in prayer, and know that God's victory is assured. God called us to the vision. God's problem to fulfill the vision. Amen? That is provided we're faithful to listen and do what He tells us to do. Not only that, but listen to this. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. God is faithful. God is stronger. God is mightier than the problems that we face than the threats of our enemy. Angela said it yes, last week in the offertory. She did two offertories in a row, and she, she did better at that than I do. But she said this, Never forget that God is a banner over you. God waves His flag of victory over you. God says, Look at these people. They belong to me. God says, Look at these people. Look what I have done for them. He is our victory. He is our banner. Would I like to see this church built? Absolutely, because I think it's in God's plan and God's vision to have it built. But at the end of the day, I know, regardless of what happens to me, because I may die tomorrow, which is why there, you, you need to be attached to the vision instead of the person, I know that God will see His vision through. But even if He doesn't, I will serve him anyway. Can I get an amen on that? Because God's plans are bigger than my plans. I'm not sovereign. He is. I like what Moses says after, after saying this, Do not fear the Lord, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. He follows it up with the why. Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. 
For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works that you do? Why do I trust God? Because there's not a God, small g, on earth or in heaven that can do the mighty works that my God can do. Therefore, when the enemy comes against me, when the enemy comes against you, have unshakable vision and be unmoved. Not only that, unshakable vision will not be distracted. Be diligent. It says, for all of them, verse 8 and 9, Then I sent a message to him. After he sent a message to Nehemiah, Nehemiah sent a message back. Such things, as you are saying, have not been done. But you are inventing them in your own mind, the idea of treason towards the king. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking, Will they become discouraged with the work, and will it not be done? But now, O God, strengthen my hand. Ooh, that's good. Nehemiah says, you're not distracting me. In fact, I'm going to ensure I know that the hand of God will strengthen me. The hand of God strengthens us. The hand of God strengthens His people, His church, Launch Point Church specifically. Let me tell you, I don't know what weakness you think you're in, but your weakness exists solely so that the hand of God might be shown mighty in your life. But I'm not like everybody else. God didn't call you to be like everybody else. Well, I'm not eloquent. God may not have called you to be eloquent. Well, I'm not strong. God may not have called you to be strong. Because let me tell you, God will make himself known as eloquent. God will make himself known as strong. He will make himself known in whatever your weakness is. So that only he can be bragged about, not us. If I was an eloquent person by nature... God wouldn't get the glory for opening my Polish mouth. There was a time in my life, Angela will tell you. Well, I guess she'll only tell you because I told her. When I first started working at the police academy, I'd start teaching and I would sweat through two layers of clothes because I knew I couldn't do it. But I faked it. I can remember when I was a kid, my mother gave me a check to go pay the rent. And I was so shy that I went and paid the rent. And there were three people in the living room at the manager's office. And I handed it to them, and they asked me a question. And I was so backwards and unable to speak in public that I started crying at seven or eight years old because I was so nervous to talk to people in, in front of people. But because of God's strength, I stand here before you, not because I have some ability but because God gave me the ability amen I don't know what God's given you the ability to do but I promise if it's for his glory it's contrary to who you actually are so that he could be bragged on not you and for that reason unshakable vision is not distracted don't be distracted by who you think you are or who you think you should be be distracted by who God made you to be or focused according to who God made you to be. I'm trying to give you a vision teaching, but at the same time encourage you to know that God watches you, God sees you, God protects you, God focuses you and won't allow you to be distracted. And when you are distracted, the enemy 
God will come alongside and destroy the enemy. Because the enemy is a liar. John 8.44 He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You're going to let a liar distract you? Someone you know is a liar? The word of God is true. We believe this, right? And so if the word of God says he's not just a liar, he's a liar by nature, it's very the very base of who he is, then why would we allow anything that comes out of his mouth to keep us or to allow us to be distracted? We should instead be sober and diligent, watching for the enemy that goes to and fro, trying to destroy us, knowing that our God is bigger. I'm not distracted by something like a lion. I'm distracted by the lion, the lion, the king of Judah. It's good. Somebody will write that down. And finally, unshakable vision completes its assignment. Verse 14. Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Shambalot, according to these works of theirs. And also, Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. So the wall was completely completed on the 25th of the month, Elo, in 52 days. The city left destroyed for 150 years. The people didn't think it could be done. The surrounding people stood opposed to it. Even a friend and a prophet tried to come against him and convince him to run and hide. But Nehemiah was unshaken. Because he had unshakable vision. Can I tell you there's no amount of destruction. That with God's help. Can't be rebuilt and undone. I'm sitting there I think somebody needs to hear that. There's no amount of destruction the enemy. Has caused your life that God can't undo. There's no amount of popular opinion then can silence or steal the voice and the vision of God there is no enemy strong enough to move the strong hand of an omnipotent God there is no friend or person calling themselves a friend that can cause a person with unshakable vision to retreat my question to Launch Point Church today is are we willing to succumb to the impossible or seemingly impossible, and give up. As much as I really want to harp on the where we're at financially, that's God's problem. Our job is to push forward. And I'm going to push forward. And I'm going to be part of what God's doing. I hope you want to be part of what God's doing. There's four people in the scripture, not just this one. There's Shambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab from this story in Nehemiah. And then Job from the book of Job. All four of them had something in common. All four of them stood outside the city and watched angrily at what God was doing instead of being part of it. 
my question to Launch Point Church is you guys specifically are you going to sit outside the church or sit outside the building or whatever God's doing and get mad like Job did plot against it like the other three did or be like Nehemiah put your hand to it God's vision is unshakable he's determined to use us but doesn't have have to use us it's our privilege and our honor to be used by God amen